Coming up this evening, live from New York City, Tesla CEO Elon Musk calling to lay off 10% of the company's workers, saying he has a bad feeling about the economy. The May jobs report is out, the U.S. adding 390,000 jobs, but we're still not back to pre-pandemic levels. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. It sounds like Tesla CEO Elon Musk isn't too optimistic about the economy. He reportedly said he has a, quote, super bad feeling about it. And he thinks Tesla should cut its workforce by about 10%. Reuters reported the news, citing an internal company email. Tesla shares dropped over 9% today on news of the potential layoffs. We reached out to Tesla to verify the email, but we haven't heard back. According to recent filings, Tesla employs around 100,000 people worldwide. So a 10% cut could mean 10,000 jobs lost. The company's stock has lost nearly one-third of its value since April, when Musk first floated the idea of buying Twitter. Meanwhile, crypto platform Coinbase late yesterday said it'll pause hiring, but didn't say for how long. Overall, the tech industry saw the highest job cuts last month since December 2020 according to global outplacement firm Challenger Gray and Christmas. The firm says many tech startups grew a lot during the pandemic, and now they're starting to see a slowdown. And today we also got a look at the overall U.S. job market, thanks to the Labor Department. It's still pretty tight. The unemployment rate held steady at 3.6 percent, and total payroll increased 390,000 last month. It's less than April, but higher than expected. President Biden says it's a good sign. That's a sign of a healthy economy with steady growth, rising wages for working families, everyday costs easing up, and shrinking the deficit. That stability puts us in a strong position to tackle what is clearly a problem, inflation. The leisure and hospitality industries added the most jobs, 84,000 in total. Meanwhile, retail lost the most jobs, at 61,000. It's good news we added jobs, but we're still not fully back to where we were before the pandemic. Right now, we're short about 800,000 jobs. With inflation running hot, the Federal Reserve is trying to dampen labor demand to tame inflation without driving the unemployment rate too high. And here to tell us about the jobs report is Sarah Gordon. She's a senior VP of Robert Half, a recruiters and employment agency. Sarah, great to have you. The May jobs report was just released today. The Labor Department said that 390,000 jobs were added last month. Sarah, how are you looking at this number? You know, we look at this number and see a very positive number overall. We think that the, the economy is reaching a new equilibrium, but we're continuing to see huge demand from customers to bring on high quality talent across the board. Now, 390,000 is a decent number, but it's still lower than last month's over 400,000. Sure. I know you talk to a lot of people in this area. So from what you're hearing, are they not hiring as much or is there not enough workers or some other reason? I think it's a combination of factors. One, 390 is still a tremendous amount if you compared it to pre-pandemic numbers. So we've seen a record high open um, job ads over the past 12 months, certainly in response to COVID and what happened with the pandemic. But we're still seeing tremendous 
requests coming in from employers for high quality talent. So I think there are still so many jobs open for the amount of unemployed, almost two to one, that we ha have to think about this as a, a new equilibrium of the economy is finding its new rhythm. The report also said uh, solid wage gains. Are your clients doing something similar? Yes. So we've seen salary compression really grow over the last 12 months as employers have continued to try to add talent to their books. And what that's done is really left the talent that stayed with them through the pandemic and the great resignation at a bit of a disadvantage. So it's very important that employers are thinking about that and how they're going to um, adjust their current staff salary to keep up with the new talent that they're trying to bring on. But we're continuing to see those salaries increase. Now, another point about the report, the unemployment rate stayed at 3.6. There's talks about a recession. What's the general attitude among employers right now? You know, I think the general attitude among employers is return to office. So having the right remote or hybrid plan to attract talent back into the workforce is going to be incredibly important. And I would also add here that um, companies, we know companies are planning on hiring over a third more, so 30% more, uh, of new college grads than they hired last year. So college grads, specifically Gen Z, are looking for flexible and remote work. So if you're looking to hire new talent and bring those folks into your workforce, having a remote or flexible plan is very important. Now, speaking about Gen Z, uh, what are your customers' sentiment in the tech sector? Uh, we're hearing about job cuts in possibly Tesla and Coinbase and many others. So what are you hearing? I can't comment on those companies specifically, but what I can comment on is that we know our managers or the customers that we're working, we're working with, those senior managers, are still planning on hiring talent. 68% of customers said that they were planning on hiring talent directly, and over 70% said that they were planning on bringing on new contract talent. And where they're looking um, to bring in that talent is really targeting that Gen Z profile. So if I'm looking for jobs right now, which sector do you think is my best bet? You know, I would still, I'm still very bullish about the tech sector. I think that, that there's great opportunity there. And, you know, I think that the opportunity to work um, across any professional skill set today is one that gives a lot of opportunity if you're willing to come to the table and, and really be honest about what you're looking for, both in, in the skills development that you're looking for as a candidate, but also as a company you know, understand what you're willing to give on and what you're going to hold fast on. And I would suggest that one of those things should be a, a hybrid, flexible return to office plan that will allow um, you to cast a very wide net and bring in a large uh, network of different types of employees. Sarah Gordon, Senior VP at Robert Half, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Don. How about a job at the White House or an internship there? Until recently, people weren't paid a dime for interning at the White House. But now that's changing. NTD's Phil Zhou has a story. A chance to intern at the White House. No salary, no problem. That used to be the case, but now that's all changing. The White House says interns will start getting paid for the first time ever to level the playing field for low-income students or first-generation professionals who otherwise might not be able to work there. If the intern didn't get paid, they'd have to get a second job in order to make ends meet and, and cover their expenses more than likely. So it's a difficult stretch. Denise Graziano is an expert in talent optimization, often advising Fortune 500 firms on how to retain and attract talent. In America right now, the talent pool is very tight. So it's probably something that they needed to do in order to attract enough of the right talent so they could get 
the work done. White House interns will get paid $750 per week and expected to work a minimum of 35 hours. That makes the maximum hourly pay rate $21.42. So when you build talent pools before people graduate, it's a smart investment for the future. And when you don't have a lot to choose from in a tight labor market, it's a smart play. Applications to intern at the White House will open next Monday. The program will run for 14 weeks with full and part-time positions. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Microsoft says it will not push back if workers want to unionize in the future. Yesterday, the tech giant said in a blog post it respects the rights of its workers to organize. And it plans to work with employees who may want to join a union. That is, if their workers ever vote to join one. There haven't been reports of any unionization plans at Microsoft, but a company executive acknowledged in the post that the potential is there. Rival companies like Apple and Amazon have recently faced unionization campaigns. Also, workers for a gaming studio owned for the video game company Activision Blizzard voted to form a union last week, and Microsoft recently agreed to acquire the gaming firm. LeBron James is now joining Michael Jordan as a basketball billionaire, according to Forbes estimates. But unlike Jordan, James has hit this milestone while still actively playing. NTD's Faye Quarter has more. LeBron James is officially a billionaire, according to Forbes. Forbes estimates he's made over $385 million on the court through NBA salaries and over $900 million off the court from endorsement deals and other businesses. James was paid $4 million when he first entered the league with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it's increased every year, all the way to $40 million. The only exception was when he went to the Miami Heat, where he endured a pay cut so the Heat could buy other top talent. Forbes estimates James was the second highest paid athlete this past year between Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. As for off the court, James of course has a deal with Nike, which pays him tens of millions every year. James first endorsed Nike back in 2003 and then made a lifetime agreement in 2015. Nike does a lot of business in China, which means James also has a financial interest there. James also ignored a $15 million deal with McDonald's to invest in fast food chain Blaze Pizza, where employees make your pizza right in front of you. He also built media production business Spring Hill with his partner Maverick Carter. Spring Hill assisted in producing Space Jam, a new legacy. James also has a minority stake in Liverpool FC, the soccer team, and Fenway Sports Group, which owns the Boston Red Sox. Forbes also estimates he owns around $80 million in real estate and over $500 million in cash and other investments. While Michael Jordan was the first basketball billionaire, he didn't join the club until after he retired in 2003. LeBron is the first to hit 10 figures while still playing. Bay Quarter, NTD News. Stocks ended lower today, Tesla being the top loser in both the S&P and the Nasdaq because of what we told you about earlier. Apple was also a major drag. Overall, the Dow fell 349 points, or a little over 1%. The S&P lost 68 points, or 1 in 6 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq was down 304 points, or 2.5%. The EPA wants to reverse one of former President Trump's decisions. It wants to give states and indigenous tribes the power to veto energy projects, such as gas pipelines and coal terminals. Trump had rolled back this power back in 2020. If it goes into effect, they'll be able to block energy projects if they feel that the projects could harm local waterways. This has happened before. 
Governor Jay Inslee of Washington blocked a coal facility back in 2017. And former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo blocked a natural gas pipeline in 2020. Trump officials accused Democrats of conducting climate policy and holding energy projects hostage. Democrats, on the other hand, said they wanted clean water. FBI Director Christopher Wray says China is the world's largest malicious cyber actor. Beijing-affiliated hackers have stolen more data from Americans than all other nations put together. Here's Ray at a cybersecurity conference this week. They've got a bigger hacking program than all other major nations combined. They've stolen more American personal and corporate data than all nations combined. And they've shown no sign of tempering their ambition and their aggression. He says China operates at a scale to which Russia doesn't even come close. He adds China's communist regime is engaged in a massive campaign to, quote, lie, cheat, and steal their way into global domination of technology sectors. Ray says that China is hiring hackers as if they were cyber mercenaries and then providing them with state resources to conduct attacks on the United States. What do you think about a U.S. government retirement fund putting American savings in Chinese firms? Until now, it was unclear what the people President Biden nominated to manage the plan thought about it. But after pushback from Republicans, now they say it's a bad idea. In a letter to three Republican lawmakers yesterday, Biden's nominees said they agree it's, quote, unfitting for Americans to invest in companies from China or elsewhere that undermine U.S. national security. The fund is like a 401k. About 6 million federal workers use it, including members of the military. Republicans applauded the letter, Senator Tomer Tuberville calling it a big win for federal employees. Marco Rubio is also happy. He removed his hold on the nominees so the Senate can complete its consideration. Turning to Russia, after a quarter century of operations in the country, the largest hotel chain in the world, Marriott, is suspending all its operations there. That's after Marriott and other hotel brands already suspended new developments and investments in Russia earlier in March. Today also marks the hundredth day of the conflict. Although most Russians live far away from Ukraine and the unrest happening there, the sanctions and withdrawals of Western companies have hit home hard. Jobs have been lost and people have had to change their living habits. NTD's Joanne Robson brings us the story of one family that lives 300 miles east of Moscow. As the invasion of Ukraine enters its hundredth day, life for many ordinary Russians has changed a lot. At the beginning, the military operations seemed far away. Yet within days, many citizens felt the impact of the unprecedented sanctions by Western governments, as well as economic punishment by corporations. Sofia Suvorova from Nizhny Novgorod lost her job in the PR department of a major IT company. Although her husband is working full-time, the family can't afford things they used to take for granted. 
Но в последнее время мы практически не заказываем готовые продукты. Театры, ну, детям стараемся это сохранять, а взрослые, да, немножко вот пришлось ужаться. With dozens of foreign companies withdrawing their business from Russia, tens of thousands of once-secure jobs are now suddenly in question. Sufia lost her job after her employer pulled out of the country. They offered to relocate Sufia to continue working from abroad. But she said it was too complicated for her family. My colleagues received offers to move and continue their work in other countries. I also had such an offer, but for me, moving is impossible. My parents here are already quite old. My husband has a job here, and the main income is my husband's work. The children go to school here, to play group, to hobby groups, so it's impossible for us. We stay, and I will be looking for work here. Sufia says finding a new job in Russia is not easy. Despite the financial difficulties the family is facing, she continues to support what's happening in Ukraine. To be against Russia's special military operation in Ukraine because I cannot go to the theater at the moment is a very childish attitude. This is something more important. Joanne Robson, NTD News. On the other side, the war has caused a farming crisis in Ukraine. Farm equipment has been destroyed and many fields are now heavily mined. On top of that, Ukraine is no longer able to ship millions of tons of grain and other agricultural products. All this is making the growing food crisis even worse. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Ukraine is one of the world's largest exporters of wheat, corn, and sunflower oil. But the war and a Russian blockade of its ports have halted much of that flow, endangering world food supplies. Many of those ports are now also heavily mined. So are many of the fields recaptured around Ukraine's second biggest city, Kharkiv. And farming equipment and warehouses are largely destroyed. The situation now is that we don't have farming machines. We got back the land that is not mined where we can work, but not the machines because they were mostly destroyed. The main equipment is all destroyed. Russian and Ukrainian forces are still fighting in the countryside north of the city and work in much of the farmland has not yet resumed in time for seeding. Fields are littered by unexploded artillery shells or are too close to the front line. There is a lot of holes. The whole farmland is full of holes left by shelling. We don't have strikes right now, but in the fields there is shelling and there are rockets left on the ground. We drive past them and still seed. What can we do now? Not too far away, smoke billowed in the sky as Russian and Ukrainian troops were trading artillery fire. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Still to come, Ford changing up how it sells electric vehicles. They'll no longer be sold at dealerships. Where then? Classic car lovers restoring VW buses in Brazil for a growing consumer market. That and more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. Ford is making changes to how it will sell electric vehicles. They will no longer be sold at dealerships. Instead, buyers will order online. The price listed will also be the sale price. There will be no negotiating. Ford CEO made the announcement this week. Sony is looking at smartphone camera sensor technology as a serious area of investment. And today's Sean Marshall has more. For years now, people have been saying smartphone cameras will be killing off the interchangeable camera lens market. Now Sony's saying smartphones still image quality will surpass that of interchangeable lens cameras sometime in 2024. That's what the president and CEO of Sony Semiconductor Solutions, Tarushi Shimuzo, told a business briefing. I went to B&H Photo to talk to some professional and hobbyist camera users to see if the old school camera industry is in trouble. Phones are for calls. And they have good cameras, but it's not the same. Leticia, a film student, doesn't want to make any switch to using a smartphone camera. I feel like the camera gives you more options to show the view you want. Like, you cannot change the ISO, uh, like the expo exposure time in the cell phone. Like, I have never seen that. Hobbyists will also keep some of the interchangeable lens camera market alive. I have uh, the old cameras. Because the old, the old camera, I think, in today's market are for my, my hobby, are good enough. Slides from Sony's presentation showed the image sensor market outlook is expected to increase with a compound annual growth rate of 9% up to 2030. Sony also invested about $1.2 billion and made $8.2 billion in sales for the 2021 fiscal year. I asked professional photographer Kevin Richardson if he ever uses a cell phone camera. Absolutely not because I'm a location photographer. I use lots of multiple strobes at the same time, up to five sometimes when the subject I'm shooting, which is impossible to synchronize with a, a smartphone. He doesn't even know how to use a camera phone. Whenever I have to use the camera phone, the kids laugh at me because I don't know how to use it because I never use it. If I'm going to use a phone to take a, picture, take a picture, I'm going to use a DSLR. The old school camera market might be shrinking, but it seems like it's here to stay for a while. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Talking about obsolete, America's last Howard Johnson's restaurant has closed. The diner in Lake George, New York, operated for nearly 70 years and has been listed for sale for just $10. Yep, that's right, less than the price of two Big Macs. The restaurant chain was once the biggest in the country. It was founded by Howard Deering Johnson in 1925. While the restaurants are no more, the Howard Johnson name endures through a hotel chain owned by Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. Old cars aren't always bad. Classic car lovers in Brazil have converted their passion into a successful business, buying and restoring and customizing the classic Volkswagen bus. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Much loved by hippies, wanderers, and families worldwide, many have been faithful fans of the iconic vehicle since it first rolled off the assembly lines in West Germany in 1950. In Brazil, millions of VW buses were produced in factories in Sao Paulo, ending in 2013 when VW halted production of the Kombi, as it was called. Now, a vibrant used bus market in the country is trying to keep up with demand restoring and detailing the classic vehicle for eager consumers. The client tells us what he wants, the colors, the accessories he wants, the purpose of the car, if it's for camping or just to tool around with the family. From this moment, we start building his dreams using the colors and accessories they ask for. At a motor garage on the outskirts of Rio de Janeiro, 
dozens of mechanics and technicians are busily restoring the colorful vehicles, tuning the engines, repainting the chassis, and customizing the interiors with slide-out sleeping pads and storage spaces aimed at a new growing consumer market. Many times, customers send us a photo of what they want so we can reproduce it. We reproduce the vehicles according to the photos with the colors. Sometimes the settings are from the time when the person was with his grandfather. Volkswagen Brazil stopped making the Kombi in 2013, but aficionados continue to pursue owning the popular vehicle and are willing to spend thousands to restore and modify existing buses. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at ntd.com. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching and have a nice weekend.